Uh, take your copy of the Word of the Lord and turn with me to Second Chronicles and chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32. We are in the latter portion of this particular chapter. We're going to be picking up with verse 24 and then reading to the end as we continue to look at the Lord's work in the reign of Hezekiah. Well, before we come and read God's Word, let us ask our Father's help and understanding. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come and acknowledge that this Word is Your very Word. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the heart. And we pray that You would pierce us. We pray that You would do Your work of conversion, of sanctification. That You would take Your eternal truth and You would cause our eyes to behold it in its splendor and be led unto Christ in whose name we pray all of these things and all of God's people said, Amen. Well, brethren, let's hear now the word of the Lord again from Second Chronicles 32, starting in verse 24. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord, and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore wrath came upon him and Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself, and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions." The same Hezekiah clothed, closed the upper outlet of the waters of the Gihon and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And so with the manner of the envoys of the princes of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did honor him at his death. And Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Well, thus far... God's Word, and may He bless it to our hearts tonight. When the mid-1600s, we were experiencing in England and Scotland exceedingly tumultuous times. There was a pompous king, Charles I, who was aiming to impose all manner of unbiblical practices upon the church. And while many in the church and many in the nation wanted reform, Charles resisted to the point of shedding blood. He ended up attacking his own people to assert his so-called divine right of king that he might force upon the people whatever he decided. 
And to resist the king in Charles's mind was to resist God, no matter what the king wanted to do. But Charles had a problem. Well, he had many problems, but one of them was money. He needed money to finance a war, and that necessitated calling Parliament, who insisted on reform. Now I'm giving you the short version of the story, but reluctantly he called that Parliament. In the midst of civil war, they summoned theologians for an assembly, the very assembly that would produce the Westminster Confession and catechisms. But the story doesn't stop there. Charles ended up losing the war. He was captured. Negotiations with him failed. And very controversially, he was executed as being treasonous against his own people. The leader against him was a man by the name of Oliver Cromwell, who emerges at a time of great political crisis. And he takes the reins of the government. Now, it was now going to be the aim to have a representative republic and to have the Word of God reform the church and society. Now, all that's really background to a quick story I want to tell you about Oliver Cromwell. In 1553, the previous king's painter was commissioned to paint Cromwell. However, Cromwell had a unique instruction for the painter. You see, painters of kings and nobles in those days would often flatter their subjects by removing any blemishes or softening their harsh features. It was a way for the painter to appeal to the vanity of kings and nobles. But with the spirit of the age, it was a way to hide the flaws of leaders as though they didn't have them. Cromwell, however, had a different philosophy. One, we might say, was more biblical in this arena. Men have nated corruption, as Scripture shows. So he told the painter something like this. I desire that you would use all your skill to paint your picture truly like me. But note all these rough spots, pimples, warts, and all. Everything that you see in me. Otherwise, I will never pay a penny for your work. Now, friends, that's where we get the expression warts and all. The refusal to hide the unappealing parts. Well, that's exactly how the Bible portrays to us the heroes of the faith. We get them warts and all. And that's what we're going to see tonight in Hezekiah. Hezekiah has been the most faithful king in the land since David. He has exhibited a trust in the Lord and a desire to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord in a remarkable way. But in our text, Hezekiah will show himself not to be the flawless king that we need. He will evidence a problem with pride. And that problem stands as a warning to us. And the message here is not this. Take comfort, no one is perfect, we all have warts. The message is, do not stumble into the sin of Hezekiah. Even a moment of self-exaltation and ungratefulness for the kindness of the Lord has shown to you. Well, let's note four things as we make our way through our passage. We begin with prayer and kindness in verse 24. Now in verse 24, we start out with a time reference. In those days, Hezekiah became sick. And we might assume in the way that we read things, because this section comes immediately after the angel being sent to crush Assyria, 
we might assume that what's recorded in our text occurs chronologically after the angel struck down those warriors in Assyria. But the reference in those days is a general reference to the days of Hezekiah. And as we read our text and its parallels in 2 Kings and Isaiah, it's fairly clear that what happens in our text occurred before the deliverance of Jerusalem. Part of Hezekiah's pride in verse 25, you see, was showing off to the, treasure, the treasuries to the envoys of Babylon who come to visit, mentioned down in verse 31. The reason Hezekiah revealed these treasuries is likely because of a potential alliance with Babylon and Judah to defend against Assyria. But as 2 Kings 18 reports, Assyria invaded Judah. And Hezekiah chose to take all those treasuries of his house and in the temple and try to pay off big bad Assyria. He gave tribute to Sennacherib. Hezekiah hoped Sennacherib would take the money and go away. Only he took the money and came back and aimed to conquer Judah and Jerusalem. Further, in 2 Kings 20, when this same sickness is mentioned that we see in our text in verse 24, and Hezekiah prays in view of that sickness, the Lord hears and answers, and He says this, 2 Kings 20, verse 6, I will add 15 years to your life, and I will deliver you and this city out of the hand of Assyria. Now that would blatantly show us that the sickness of Hezekiah was prior to the angelic deliverance of Jerusalem. All this is to say that verse 24 actually sends us back in time. Now, on to the details. Verse 24, look at it again. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord, and he, the Lord, answered him and gave him a sign. Now, 2 Kings 20 actually records the prayer of Hezekiah. Hezekiah laid all of his faithfulness before his God, his life of integrity to the Lord to serve Him alone, that he had endeavored to do good in God's eyes. But what I want you to understand is this, the logic of Hezekiah's prayer is not, I've sought to be faithful to you, Lord, now you owe me. I've lived for you, and now you must do whatever it is I want. No, rather Hezekiah knows the character of God, namely, that God blesses faithfulness. Or to put it as David does in Psalm 18, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man, you show yourself blameless, for you save a humble people. And like David in the Psalms, Hezekiah pleads his own integrity as a reason to be delivered. Some of you may feel very uncomfortable using your integrity as an argument in prayer. But that's what the saints of God do in the Bible. They live a godly life and they plead their commitment to the Lord that He would answer them. Lord, I've served You. Lord, I now look to You as my only hope and I rest in You alone for help. Well, the Lord is pleased to hear Hezekiah's prayer. And when Hezekiah was at the point of death, God comes with deliverance. Now, this theme of answered prayer in Chronicles is only continuing as we see these wonderful words in verse 24. Hezekiah prayed to the Lord and He, the Lord, answered him. I think the Chronicler is taking every opportunity to stress to us that our God is a God who answers prayer. 
He doesn't just hear the prayers of the many who are crying out for help like in the city yearning to be delivered from Sennacherib and all of his warriors. He answers the prayer of the individual. One of God's names, Psalm 65-2, is the God who hears prayer. Or as William Cooper puts it in a hymn, the Lord is a prayer-hearing, answering God. Beloved, do you know this about your God? That the God we serve is a God who delights to listen to our voice. And dear people, this is such a crucial point to stress. Because as Pastor Chad Bailey preached to us last week, prayerlessness is widespread among the people of God. We, even the best of us, struggle to pray. And sometimes God is pleased, as He did here with Hezekiah, or with Paul, with the thorn in the flesh. The Lord is pleased to bring a crushing affliction to drive us to pray. And that means the affliction itself is a kindness, medicine to our spiritual soul. You see, the affliction made Hezekiah see how weak he was, how needy he was, how dependent he was, and to recognize his only hope rests in the Lord. Well, are we remembering that? Are we evidencing a dependent spirit by running to God with our troubles and looking to God for His answer? Further, do we know what God is like? That He doesn't forget the cry of the afflicted. That He is abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon Him. Do we trust as He tells us in Psalm 34 that His eye is upon the righteous and His ear toward their cry? What a beautiful picture. God bends down His ear to listen to His people call to Him. Maybe we would pray with greater earnestness if we believed that the Lord of the universe listens to our voice. In fact, dear friends, how much more confidence ought we tonight have to pray to the Lord than Hezekiah in view of our place in redemptive history. We are not on Hezekiah's side of the cross where everything about worship still communicates distance and inefficiency. God dwelt among His people, yes, in the temple. But even though Hezekiah is the king, he can only go so far in the temple. He can't get into the inner portions. He can't enter the throne room. A curtain bars his access to God. And the sacrifices that are at the temple occurring every morning and every evening, they remind Hezekiah there remains need for a sufficient sacrifice. Nevertheless, with all these types and shadows of the law, with the distance felt, he still goes to God. Well, how much more should that be the case with us? Because through Christ's work, the curtain is torn. Through Christ's work, no other sacrifice is needed. We are brought near by Jesus' blood. We can boldly approach the throne of grace. Should we not then hasten to our God knowing He hears our prayer? Shouldn't we feel liberty as the sons of God to go to our Father who delights to give good gifts, who's ready to answer at the sound of our cry? Let us as poor and needy people seek the Lord. Well, not only is Hezekiah's prayer answered, he's given a sign to, to assure him of healing. Chronicles doesn't tell you about it. It's in Kings 20, however, that the shadow is going to go back ten steps. Again, what a kindness of God. The word that you will be healed is enough. But then God gives a sign in addition to the word. The Lord is 
pleased to be gracious like that. Well, how does Hezekiah respond to all of this great kindness? To hear him, answer him, heal him, give him additional years of life. Well, sadly see, secondly, pride and chastisement. Verse 25, Though the Lord has lavished grace on Hezekiah, and He's delivered him from a sickness unto death, we read verse 25, but Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. In other words, Hezekiah, though enjoying the gift of life that God had given, he didn't give thanks to God for it. He wasn't humbled by the kindness from above so that he was careful to go on honoring the Lord. He took God's gift for granted. He acted as though amazing mercy was somehow deserved. He forgot the benefits of the Lord. And why did he do that? Well, the text tells you as a heart problem. Pride. A lack of gratitude flowed from pride. A failure to praise God, to live carefully for God, to continually turn to God is bubbling out of his heart because of his pride. Now what a sad irony is here in the text. Hezekiah's prayer and his sickness showed us this man understood at some level that he was not self-sufficient. He recognized he couldn't even have another day without the Lord's intervention. But as soon as mercy from above came, he forgot that he needed mercy in an ongoing way. And he started to live as if the strength he now had was his own doing. Like Israel of old who was warned, when you get into that land with houses that you didn't build and vineyards that you didn't plant and cisterns that you didn't dig, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. And yet what happened? Israel grows fat and satisfied with the gifts of God with a faithless posture. They pass over thankfulness to the Lord for these gifts. And how quickly can we fall into the same trap? We can earnestly pray to God in trouble and God deliver. And then when He does, we don't even give thanks. Or more specifically, maybe we give thanks once. But we don't live a life of thanksgiving. Constantly acknowledging the undeserved mercies of God in answer to prayer. Or there's the foxhole mentality. Crisis is crushing us in a life and death situation and we pray But when the crisis is over, we go right back to life lived as a practical atheist. That is, we don't overtly deny the existence of God. We might even come to church. We might even sing. We might even read our Bible. But we do not live daily in dependence upon God. We act as though I don't need you every hour. Beloved, are any of us tonight recipients of the great gifts from God but failing to make return on those gifts. What kind of return should we be giving? Well, Paul in Romans 12, in view of all the mercies God has shown His people, Romans 1-11, to he says that we should give our very lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord. We owe God everything. Saving us from something worse than a sickness leading to death He saved us from the eternal fires of hell if we rest in Christ. And that demands, in the words of Watts, my soul 
my life, my all? Are we making good returns to the Lord? Or are we failing to ponder what our God does for us? Do we find our soul considering His goodness and stirred up to be loyal, zealous, warm-hearted lovers of God? This is Hezekiah. This is the guy who had been reform-minded. You, you remember, he, he's been the impetus to clean house in the temple. He's reordered the national life with sacrifices on a regular basis of ongoing teaching of the Levites, of practicing the feasts. But now this very man has slipped from the pursuit of devotion to God. Do you know that as you get older, you could slip into a way that is not pleasing to the Lord? And do you see how easy it is? We might say that Hezekiah got into the habit of neglecting prayer and praise so that his affections grew cold. It's not like he was overtly chasing after idols like Solomon did in his latter years. He didn't just drop the faith altogether like Joash. He simply failed and persistently failed to give thanks to the Lord and to express his dependence upon God. And he did that because his heart was filled with himself. Hezekiah was a powerful man. Verse 27 articulates the blessings given to him during his reign. Look at the text. He had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stone, for spices, for shields, for all kinds of costly vessels. These are the treasures that he showed the Babylonian envoys. And it seems as if Hezekiah began to believe that that wealth was gained by his own savvy. That that wealth could get him out of any trouble he ever had. Now, brethren, riches are a blessing from God. They are not inherently evil, but those riches can be a powerful snare. Do you remember the words of Jesus in the context of the rich young ruler? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. There is no camel gate that a camel gets down on its knees and crawls. We're talking about an actual hyperbolic statement. It's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. That's just the point. But why not? What, what's the problem? Pride. The well-off fail to see that they are lowly and weak. And it's like the warning Jesus gives the church at Laodicea, a people of great wealth. Maybe you remember this in Revelation 3. You, Laodicean church, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you were wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Hezekiah is in a sad spiritual state. The thorns of this world were threatening to choke out the word of life. The deceitfulness of riches. You see, riches tempt people to believe that they're untouchable, self-sustaining, in need of nothing. But it's all pride. Now, some of us tonight might not have riches tempting us to pride, although some of us might. But for some of us, it might be other things, other gifts of God that have allured us to that sin of pride. Maybe it's intellectual gifts, or musical gifts, or writing gifts. You know, maybe you have a skill in craftsmanship, or athleticism. Maybe you have a fit body and a beautiful face. 
Or maybe you've come from a family where peace reigns rather than conflict. Maybe you have children who've embraced the truth rather than rejected the gospel. And in all of these things, you might think, oh, look at what I have done. Look at my achievements. Look at my skillful abilities. Look at how I've attended to all these relationships as though my power alone is a thing that has secured peace. Beloved, there's always a danger to fail to see the gifts of God, whether it's an answer to a particular prayer or the daily care He administers, and then not make returns on His blessings. Beware of the scourge of pride. And what happens because of this pride? Verse 25, Therefore wrath came upon Him and Judah and Jerusalem. Now there's no description here of the result of wrath. But knowing the larger story, I think we can discern what it was. The Lord raised up Assyria to be a scourge on Hezekiah and the people. And again, all the wealth that he had showed off, the Lord just takes it away. Further, we've heard repeatedly in our study of Second Chronicles that Assyria, like a constricting serpent, wrapped its coils around Judah. Multiple cities are struck down, people are deported, others are killed. Jerusalem is facing a siege. Assyrian ambassadors come to intimidate and threaten. Panic is emerging among the people. And why is all this happening? Because of the discipline of the Lord. It's all to be a reminder to you of Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Do you think if you're proud, you're going to escape the discipline of God? Do you think the Lord's not going to notice? Do you think you won't arouse God's wrath if you're forgetful of His mercies? If you think you stand here, you need to take heed lest you fall. One final thing to notice. Notice that Hezekiah was proud, but on whom is the wrath coming? Hezekiah and Judah and Jerusalem. The sin of the leader brought judgment on all the people. This is why we desperately need godly leaders in the home, in the church, and in society at large. Never believe the lie of the devil that your sin affects you alone. No, it drips ripples of destruction into the lives of others. Watch out that you as a leader with your sin not bring tremendous damage upon other people because of a prideful heart. And oh, elders, let me speak particularly to us. What havoc we could reach on the church if we are ensnared by the sin of pride. Well, third, we see with me. Patience and mercy, verse 26. God's wrath has come, and suddenly we see the mercy of God emerge in this affliction. Now, if the Lord had let Hezekiah alone in his pride, he would have carried on his sin to destruction. But here we see it was good for Hezekiah that he was afflicted. Because under the fresh fire of God's wrath, what does Hezekiah do? Verse 26, But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart. And I think we can see this humility on display. When Sennacherib's goons come to the city, and they come and bring a letter of the Assyrian king, and they're threatening the king, of coming destruction. No king has resisted us you're, or me. You're going to fall. 
But Hezekiah receives a letter from the hand of the messengers. He takes it, he reads it, 2 Kings 19.14. And then he went up to the house of the Lord and he spread it before the Lord. You see his desperation. Hezekiah had tried to build a coalition of nations, always frowned upon by God. Hezekiah then gave away the treasuries of his house to make Assyria go away, always frowned upon by God. But now he's got nothing. He has no money. He has no nation to help him. The Lord is taking everything away. All he has is the Lord. But that's exactly where he needs to be. He runs into God's presence. He humbles himself before God. He pleads that the glory of the Lord would take action to defend his own name from reproach because this wicked king has blasphemed God's name. And at that moment, Sennacherib's men are surrounding the city. Hezekiah is shut up like a bird in a cage. But this man goes penitent before God. And what happens? Well, he grieves his sin. And the result is, verse 26, due to this humility, the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Indeed, the Lord removed wrath by driving away the oppressor. He bore His mighty arm to save and He struck Assyrian pride. He cut down their warriors. Well, what's the enduring lesson here? It's pretty simple, I think. The Lord waits to be gracious. He's slow to anger. Yes, He brings an affliction, but He is patient even in the midst of wrath because He doesn't immediately give Hezekiah over to certain death. He rouses the spiritual fire that is in Hezekiah's heart. And Hezekiah humbles himself and the Lord shows mercy. God hates the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. What does that mean for you and me, brethren, if we humble ourselves? It means the Lord will bring grace. That's who He is. That's what He does. Does it mean we'll escape all temporal wrath for sin? No. Even after David is forgiven for that wretched thing of taking Bathsheba and killing Uriah, he was told, the sword will never leave your house. Ongoing consequences. Right here, the chastisement is ongoing. Jerusalem is delivered, yes, but all the other cities in Judah had experienced devastation. Hezekiah's kingdom reeled throughout the rest of his reign because of this man's pride and God's wrath upon that pride. However, the enduring lesson is simple. If we repent of our sin, if we humble ourselves and tremble at the Word of God, He will look to us. He will forgive us and help us. He will draw near to our hearts. So brethren, we should learn to pray a simple prayer. Lord, give me humility. Lord, make me to feel my need of You. Help me recognize the danger of self-exaltation forgetfulness, apathy, and a lukewarm heart. Keep me recognizing that You are good and You are ready to forgive. Well, then finally, see with me. Prosperity and testing. Brief point here. I've given a lot of attention to verses 24 to 26 because 27 to 33 are really a summary of Hezekiah's whole reign and everything related to his pride. Now, we hear of his wealth and how he prospered, but why did he prosper? Verse 29 makes it explicit. He, Hezekiah, likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. God gave him what he has. Everything's a gift. Now, all of this is true for us. All that we have is a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights. But notice Hezekiah has very great 
possessions. He's experienced gifts from God in abundance. And the abundance of God's kindness is evident everywhere the man looks. But how did he handle the abundance? Not well. You see, the greatest tests we often face are not the adversities. It's often the prosperity. Will we cling to God then? Hezekiah handled his sickness like a man of faith. He sought the Lord immediately and earnestly, and he knew an answer to God. But when gifts were lavished upon him and he was prosperous, he didn't do well. Indeed, we find here at this moment of prosperity that the Lord actually tested his servant. That was what was going on with the Babylonian envoys. The Babylonian king sends his well wishes to Hezekiah, but what he was really after was an alliance. And at that moment, verse 31, we read, chilling verse, God left Hezekiah to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. Now, of course, God already knows what's in Hezekiah's heart, but Hezekiah doesn't know what's in his heart. But the test will reveal it to Hezekiah. The Lord's not taken by surprise when Hezekiah or we fail a test but we're shown what we lack. Now, it took Hezekiah a while to see what he lacked, but by grace, he eventually comes around, returning to the Lord. And the Lord took his prosperity away and caused him to rest on the Lord alone. Now, this whole situation in no way nullifies all that Hezekiah had previously done for God. He was known, verse 32, as a man with good deeds. He was a generally faithful man. He truly was earnest to serve the Lord and trusted God in a way that no one had since David. But he's got warts. And sometimes, beloved, we need to be reminded of our warts. Sometimes we need to see through affliction and through prosperity the great weaknesses in our faith and the sin that lingers in our heart so that with them exposed we might flee to the God with whom there is forgiveness. But with this text and its revelation of ugliness in Hezekiah, it also serves another purpose. The whole book of Chronicles is writing in view of a coming great Davidic king. And this text is saying, as it shows us Hezekiah's failure, the king that we seek is not yet. The one who would truly be a man after God's own heart, we're still waiting for him. We're longing for the one who would not fail any tests, who would be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. Well, brethren, we live on the other side of that great King coming. And we know, I hope tonight, that our trust is not in princes, and our trust is not in the arm of flesh, and our trust, I hope, is not in anything of us. Even in great ones like Hezekiah. Our trust can't be in our prosperity or anything at all in ourselves. Our trust must be solely in the Lord Jesus who succeeds where we always fail. And we must rest our hopes in Him, humble ourselves before Him, and plead for His grace to preserve us in all of our warts. Brother, may we tonight look to the One who has passed every test, and may we humble ourselves before Him. And at the sight of the kindness of God in Jesus Christ, may we flee our pride and return to the Lord our God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we come into Your presence thankful for the blessing of affliction. Thankful that when we are foolish, You don't let us go. 
Thankful, Lord, that you pursue us with your goodness and mercy. And Father, we pray that we would learn these lessons here, the danger of pride. We pray that you would grant to us humility of heart. And we pray that you would give us a prayerful soul, that we would come into your presence and plead with you. O Lord, as you test us, would you by the Spirit support us, that we might live lives of integrity unto your glory. And we pray it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, Amen.